Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome back to Love Yourself Fiercely. Today's guest, Rolly Allaire, is a fellow Canuck, and you guys know how much I love my Canadian friends. She's a life coach. She's a published author, and I kind of love her story, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. This is amazing. So thank you so much. Um, I Let's just dive right in. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where your journey began and how you evolved into where you are today. So, um, so one for one, I want to be able to share my spirit name. So Giga Domingo Quay is my spirit name and it is, it stands for talking feather woman. And so, and I always feel that that is so important for me to express simply because that is part of my journey. And so I want to be able to have that, um, that opportunity to, um, be able to use that name and honor it. Mm. And so, um, so my journey began, um, with, uh, so living in North in Northeastern Ontario, way up in Timmins. <laughs> and so I was born in, and raised in Timmins until I was 10. And then I moved down into the area that I'm in now. Um, I moved away and then came back of course. And so, um, but the, uh, so my journey started with, um, I'm the oldest of four girls. And my dad is, um, was an alcoholic. And so he um, is actually tomorrow is his, his anniversary and, but he's also passed just recently passed away. And so, um, so I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. And so with that came a lot of dysfunction in our home and, um, but also the, um, but he's also been sober. So tomorrow is his sobriety date and he had been sober for 26 years. Mm. And so I'm really happy about that. And, but it still gave me that, um, that part of what it is that's going like that has evolved into who I am. And so um, at the age of roughly around the age of six, my mom had taken me in to see a doctor because I was having a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of different things that were going on and they didn't name it as such when she was, when I was little and it was a special, I went to see the specialist. So mm-hmm. obviously I went to go and see the psychiatrist, but like, those are not the words that they actually, <laughs> use them, right? So it's like, keep everything hush, hush, quiet, quiet. And so the precipice to that particular event was, um, I, like I said, I'm the oldest of four girls and my um, sister had, um, so she's 10 months younger than me. And um, so as the oldest, I was supposed to make sure that I walked her from school and, and brought her home. And she was only in senior kindergarten at that point. And we didn't live far from home, far from the school. Like it was really not that far. However, I went to go and meet her and she was gone. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find her. And I was just completely beside myself. And so that was like the, um, that's the, the starting point of where I've um, learned to cope and deal with anxiety. And so went through many different um, facets around the anxiety and trying to cope with it and dealing with it, as well as still living in um, a dysfunctional home setting. And so when we had, um, so like, those are, those are, like I said, like that's from a very early on. So I'm not sure whether or not I had anxiety prior to, and then of course it's like, did the anxiety come because it's um, like, was it the chicken or the egg? Right. So like mm-hmm. uh, hereditarily, my grandmother has um, anxiety or had anxiety. My dad had anxiety. And so then I had anxiety. And so like, is it because of that or was it because of the dysfunction? Right. So like, we, we really don't know. And so um, but the, um, but those are the different things that we've had to, um, cope with and that we've had to deal with. And it's, um, 
it's definitely been a journey and has definitely helped me get to where it is that I am today. And so um, now as a um, life and wellness coach, that's one of the things that I do is help people work through women, particularly um, work through their anxiety and helping them find the different tools. And so, um, so as time kind of went on, um, there was an incident that, that had happened um, where my sister had um, been apprehended and um, from child services. And so from that point, we had to then come back to as they were doing the integration, they had to put us into um, family counseling. And so through the family counseling, that didn't go over so well. I believe we only had two family sessions and it was like complete upheaval because at that point, my dad was not ready to stop drinking and there was no, there was nothing wrong with anything that was going on in our household. Everything was perfect in our household, mm. right? Mm -hmm. that, that whole denial. And so, um, but one of the things is because of that, by that point I was 14 and I was in high school. And so um, the high school was right behind our mental health services. And so um, they had allowed us, so in Canada, so depending on who else is watching and from where in Canada, or at least in Ontario, is that if you're the age of 12 and up, you have access to services without parental consent. Mm -hmm. And so, which meant that the um, agency was allowed to sign me out of school so that I can continue to have my services. And so from that point on began my healing journey. Mm -hmm. And so it allowed me to, um, to continue to work through, learn to be able to have different coping skills. Um, obviously not all of them were perfectly great um, yeah. coping skills. Cause I ended up with an eating disorder through, um, through my teens and into my early twenties. And then um when I was 23, I uh, was pregnant, but I was still um, bulimic. And so um, I was, um, and the doctor does not know whether or not that is the, the reason why I ended up losing my child, but it was, um, but then from that point on, it was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And so I continued with that same behavior until I got pregnant in 1995 with my, my eldest living son. And so at that point is when things shifted for me mm -hmm. in terms of that behavior. So then it was like, okay, now great. Now I have to try and come up with some new strategies, some new um, different things. But at the age of 19, um, I joined a family program that was geared specifically to adult children of alcoholics. And one of the things that was really interesting is um, that I was in this group full of older people. So like I had some, um, some moms that were there and that were like became mother hens. And then we had, um, and then there were some men that were also in the program and they were like these big brothers. And because I was the youngest one in the group. And so, um, and back then I smoked as part of my coping strategies is mm -hmm. that I was actually smoking. And so, um, and there was only one particular area that you were allowed to go and smoke in, in the building at the time. So there was this closed off room that you would actually <laughs> have to go and smoke. And I'm the only smoker in the, in this particular family, in particular family program. So I had that opportunity to be able to, um, go and sit in the other side where, um, the alcoholics were sitting and um, anybody else that had any other addictions. And there was one particular man that was in the program that um, he reminded me so much about my, of my dad. And so like him and I had a lot of conversations and I reminded him of his daughter. And so we had lots of conversations about like, what was it like for me growing up as, um, as a, a child um, in that kind of home? And he had the, it's like, 
had that perspective of being able to help understand where his daughter would be coming from because his daughter had completely iced him, wasn't talking to him and rightfully so at that time. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, so we had, and we created this incredible bond. And so it was really great because then it really helped me understand from a different perspective. So then that gave me a different insight coming from, um, from where I was coming from, how everything was just so difficult for us to be able to manage. And so um, then we went to, so then as time went on and I continued and I had different relationships and different things had happened. And so then I had um, my two beautiful children. So I have uh, two adult boys that I love dearly and um, they have, um, and so they've, they've helped me um, grow even that much more. Right. Mm -hmm. So everything that I've been able to experience. And so because of all the different experiences that I've had, it's allowed me to be able to have a different kind of insight. So I've been in domestic violence, violent relationships. I've um, been sexually traumatized. I've had um, different um, situations. So like my youngest son has um, various different learning disabilities. And um, so completely huge IQ, but like in terms Mm -hmm. of coping was not the best. And both of my children struggle with anxiety as well, which is why what came first, the chicken or the egg. So hereditarily is like, so is that because of everything that was going on with me um, genetically, or is that because of um, different, different things that were going on um, with them growing up? But the, um, but I always say that my youngest son is my teacher. So he has Mm -hmm. taught me a lot of different things. So with that, I've been able to help understand where kids are coming from, from a different perspective, Um, being able to understand what parents are trying to deal with when they're dealing with these kids that are, have this explosive behavior and, and you don't know how to be able to manage it or cope with it. And so as the fact that they're now adults, it's amazing to be able to see how things have shifted and um, and the tools that I was able to give them, even though they don't always do what it is that I would like them to do, or how I would like them to do it. Um, but there's still, um, but you can actually see those different um, scenarios and um, situations where it's like, huh, I raised that. That yeah. is so awesome. I'm so happy to be able to see that. Right. So it really does give you that, um, that joie de vivre of being able to have this, um, this connection. And so then, as I continued on with my own journey. So back in um, 2014, I ended up um, being ill with mental health. So I've, because I struggle with um, stress, uh, anxiety and depression. And so with that came um, a lot of struggles. And so at that particular time, so um, about a year and a half before that, my husband um, had, had an affair. And so that completely devastated me and not necessarily because of the the affair itself, because at that particular moment, my youngest son, who I was having some, um, that I had had some challenges with at that point had, was a teenager and there was like lots of behaviors and he was heading down a path that I wasn't um, great with. And so then all of my coping strategies made it really difficult. And so then I continued to work. I continued to do um, all the things that I needed to, because I was, I actually went into, um, in 2021, uh, um, 2001, I started um, in psychotherapy, helping others with, um, in mental health. So mental health addictions, um, domestic violence, And so I, because I had gone back to school at that point as a, um, previously as a single mom. And so it was like, I have all these tools and I already know all the things that I'm supposed to be dealing and coping with. And I thought that I had a good handle on what was going on. And so 
in 2014 when I had lost my job, that was like complete. Um, I had, that was like, like a triple hat trick. I could not handle anything more. Right. So I had, um, so I was still dealing with my teenage son. Um, I'm still trying to get over the affair. And I was the type of person who always said, um, if you have, um, if you're having an affair, then we're done. Like we're completely finished. It's just not going to happen. And, but yet I'm in this situation and I'm like, okay, I don't even know how to cope with this now. I don't even know how to deal with this. Um, and not because I didn't want to end the relationship, but because I was still so fragile. It was like, I'm this horrible mom. I can't hide my yeah. this kid who's um, running down the path of addictions. And I've done all these things to be able to try and help protect him. And, um, and then I've got, um, and then I have my husband and it's like, okay. Like, and he's always been super supportive. So then that just really threw me back. Right. So he came into our lives with my children being young, um, young kids and took them on as his own children and looked after them uh, with his, uh, as young children. And, and they do refer to him as their dad as well. So it's like, okay, now what, what am I supposed mm-hmm. to be doing? So we've worked through that, the, those challenges and, um, and not to give any, um, not to say that give him any leeway as to like what, what happened or why, or that it's a good excuse is it also happened at the time when his dad, um, had just passed away. And so it was that he was feeling helpless, whatever, like, I don't really care what your excuse was. It's still not okay. And, but it was like, but again, it was being able to see it from that perspective later on down the road, not at the time, cause I didn't really right. care at the time, but as we continued to work through the relationship, that was one of the things that was like, Oh, okay. This is one of the things that was going on and this is what happened. And so, um, and then I continued to, um, to work on my own journey and I started my own practice, um, in 2015. And because when I was during that nine month period that I was off, it was like, no, I really need to focus in on what it is that I need to be doing. So the psychiatrist had me unable to work for six, for nine months, but for the first six months was, um, the challenge because like I was, Um, my identity was in my being um, a mom. And then my next identity was being a wife. And both of those two things had fallen apart. And then my other identity was who I was in terms of my work Mm -hmm. relationship. And then it was like, everything fell apart. And it was like, oh my gosh, I really need to figure out who I am. So the psychiatrist had said, okay, we're going to give you three months. No, you're not going, uh, you're not able to work for three months. So first three months, it's like, okay, so I'm doing all the things that I, that I mentally know all the things. Cause I've got all right. the tools. I already know all the things that I'm supposed to do. And then I went back to, um, and then when we went back for the, and at, at the three month period and I'm, I went back and I'm like, okay, so I'm ready to go back to work part-time. I knew that I wasn't well enough to go back full-time, but it was mm-hmm. like, I'm ready to go back part-time. And he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> so three more months it is. And I'm like, no. And again, so then that, like that sunk me again. So that took me a little bit of time to kind of bring things back back forward again. And then, um, we went back to, um, and then, so then, but by the time that the six month period came back and I went back to see him at that point, I was, well, I was stable. I had, um, and I'm not, I don't take medication. Typically I try and do things as holistic as I possibly can. However, I do, I have used medication and if I need to, again, I will definitely use medication mm-hmm. and I definitely promote that for anybody who needs it. And so, um, so at that time, my medication was all stable. I was stable. Things were going well. And I went in and he's like, okay, so where do you think that you're at now? And I said, I'm good. 
but I think I still need a little bit more time because now all the rest of the things are stable. Now I need to dive in deep and really deal with um, the things that I need to be dealing with. And that was where I dealt a lot more with the grief of, um, of all of those three things. And Mm -hmm. so I worked through those um, particular aspects. And, and then when the um, nine month period was up, I said to my husband, I said, he's going to tell me that I'm ready to go back to work. And I am, but I don't think that this is where I want to go. I don't think that I want to go back and work for any agencies again. I think that I want to be able to start my practice on my own. And so I did. And so from there, that is where um, my journey began in terms of um, being able to help others from not from an agency's perspective. And so um, working in different agencies, at least in Ontario, I can't speak to any mm-hmm. other um, place, but in Ontario, because it's part of our healthcare system is that it's very segregated. So yeah. if when I worked for the mental health um mental health division, then it was mental health only. You don't do anything else. If you work for addictions and you work for addictions, you don't deal with any other matter. When you work in domestic violence, you work with domestic violence yeah. situation and that's it. And it's like, okay, but like, we're not broken people. Like we're not yeah. like, I'm not this little piece and I'm not this little piece and I'm not this little piece. Like it all needs to be integrated together. And, but under funding rules is we're not allowed to do that. Right. And so it makes it like super, super challenging to um, be able to try and make, um, to be able to help somebody um, deal with the things that we're dealing with. And so I had um, one particular, um, and actually it was a, a student that I had that was working with me the one time. And this is how broken our system is, right? So um, she's dealing with different things. And, and of course, she's got like four different um, practitioners that she's dealing with because like she's got different things that she's going on that's happening for her. And so she's dealing with somebody for mental health. She's dealing with somebody for domestic violence and she's dealing with somebody for addictions. And so each person that she's having all of these appointments with, have a different view, different perspective yeah. and have a different um, situation. And one particular um, practitioner, and this is where like my light bulb really came on. It was like, okay, I can't keep doing this. This is crazy. And so she went in to um, work with uh, this one particular um, practitioner and the practitioner said to her, and she was doing really well. She wanted to become a social worker. She, that's what she was actually doing was being a student. Um, she was a co-op student and she wanted to like see how it worked before she actually went off to university um, to see if that's where she wanted to go or how she wanted to do it. And she was pumped and super excited and she had huge motivation as to what it is that she wanted to do. And she had her session with this person and this person looked at her and said, you're broken. How are you ever going to be able to help others? And I'm like, I can't believe that you just said that. And so then the entire time frame is she had called and said, I can't go back to school. I don't know what it is that I'm going to be doing. It's like, come back down to my office. And so we had that conversation and we dealt with um, situations, but, and she ended up not following that path. Mm. And so, and it's just like, she would have been because she had that empathy. She had the different situations that were going on in her life that actually allowed her to be able to have that empathy. And of course she still had some healing to do. She was only 18 at the time. Right. Of course she had, of course she had some journeys to make, but it was just like complete devastation. And it was like those different um, moments and, and even having um, colleagues that would say to me, cause I would do things outside of the box all the time. It was mm-hmm. like, but I would get in trouble for doing things outside the box. <laughs> because it didn't fit the mandate of what right. it is we're supposed right. to be doing. 
And so I had uh, one client who was a truck driver and, um, and he um, worked all week. And so he comes home, um, he leaves early Sunday morning and he comes home on Friday evening and then he has Saturday off. And that's the only time that he had. And so um, me being me, scheduled his appointments on, depending on how his trips were going, it was either um, every other Friday evening or every other Saturday. And so I would go in and I would have um, our sessions and then I would leave. And, uh, and that would be the only time that I would go in. Like I wasn't going in to see any other clients or scheduling a full day. It was just those. And, um, and I was allowed to flex my time. So if I needed to be, um, a little later or whatever, then I was able to just flex my time that way. So then I would just not go in earlier on the Monday or whatever. And, um, but he, um, and, and that worked really well for him and he did really well. And, um, but when, one of the things that happened is I had a colleague that came up to me and said, Hey, you really need to stop doing this stuff and stop seeing people on in the evenings or on, um, on the weekend, because you're setting a precedent and we're all going to have, the union's going to make us all have to do this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why did you get into this field? I don't understand. Yeah. It makes no sense to me. Right. So, um, but I just can still continue to do the stuff that I did and we get my fingers slapped and, um, but I would just do those, those different things. But, um, but I've had some huge successes with being able to think outside of the box. So I have one particular client that I had who, um, she, um, was first nations or is first nations, not was first nations. And so, or Aboriginal, there's like so many different terminology. I always forget which one that we're supposed to follow, but, with my, um, my Métis background is that I was learning my culture because that wasn't something that we were allowed to learn um, growing up. And so, um, and the, uh, but I was working with this particular client. And so I had learned some of the things like, culturally that could be done, but we actually would follow her own practices. So like, what is it that you want to be able to do? So we would start our sessions with smudging and mm. um, we would set our intentions as to what it is that we need to be doing. And we would call in the ancestors um, so that they can come and help support her during her session. And we would do a number of different things. And um, she had two little ones. And so she was also trying to regroup that, um, their, um, their relationship. And because she had been away, in jail for some time. And so being able to reconnect with her children was something that was really important to her. And so being able to include the kids. And so our sessions would include different activities that they could be doing and, and how can we be able to help rebuild that relationship for them? Because that was one of the things that was really important to her. And so we actually took a, um, a situation or a, a, we have a, a location that's called um, Devil's Rock. And so we went for a walk there. I brought my camera and handed it off to the girls and the girls were taking pictures of different things. And as we're doing the hiking and mom and I are still having our session because we would have our session still mm -hmm. when we were talking, whether the girls were around or not, as they were going away for the distance. But then when they come back, then obviously we changed the conversation, but it would be, um, but it was about that healing and being out in nature and reconnecting with the, um, with, with the land. And so there was one particular spot that we had stopped to take a picture of mum and the two girls. So I had taken a picture of the two of them. And so while we're standing there, the oldest one, um, cause Pete's dam is a running water. And so like it has, uh, so like it's, a, um, and at one point it's, uh, there's like a little falls, but like at one particular point where there's this great big humongous tree that's there and it's right by the water. And so we had taken a picture there 
And as we're standing there, and I had been down this trail like 50 million times, like this is my favorite place to go. And so um, we're standing there and the little girl says, mommy, listen, the water's talking to us. Mm. And it's just like so amazing because like right where it was is the water was actually circling and you can actually hear the gurgling and um, they had been rent, um, they had been raised by their auntie and um, she had taught them and she was an elder. And so she taught them a lot of the, the different teachings and and had them connect with, uh, with nature. And it was just like this, like, Oh my gosh. Like, so it's just really incredible as much as I'm there to support my clients is that um, I also learn from them. Right. Yeah. So like there's different, I get different lessons from them and they are my most cherished um, family that I have ever worked with. Mm. Not that I don't enjoy my other clients or, but it's just that, that whole connection that we had and it was this huge um, opening. And so um, I was the type of person who would get a new client and um, in the intake and they, they would have um, the entire case file and you'd have all the reports and all these things. And I never read the reports until after I had met with the clients two or three times, because I really wanted to get a feel for what did they need and not have somebody else's biased opinion as mm-hmm. to what it is. Because when you're reading the case notes, then you have like that, that perspective as to what it is that's going on. So other than the intake and what was the initial information, that was the only thing that I ever read from my clients files initially. And then I would go back and read like, what else do I need to know afterwards? But it was like, let them tell me what do they need. And so, and that's how um, I always took the approach as to how I would actually work with them and help them with what was going on. So, but yeah, so I've just chattered on. (laughs) I love it. I could listen to you talk forever. A lot of people don't know this about me, but prior to um, becoming an entrepreneur, my background is in children's mental health. And so when I hear you speak, I remember that life. I remember the red tape. I remember the, the, you know, judgment from previous case files and previous people working with the family. And, and I too always, you know, thought outside the box, I was working with children, um, behavioral children. And so there was a lot of mental health, a lot of, you know, uh, different types of abuse occurring amongst the adults in their world, different family dynamics, different trauma. Then you couple the school system, not supporting their needs and there's trauma there. And I always admire a practitioner who says, this is not about me. This is not about checking the boxes as to what I'm supposed to air quotes provide for this family. But what does this family need from me? How can I support them as they navigate their next best step. And, you know, the work that the, the work that a good practitioner can do is life altering for a person and their family. Um, so thank you for the work that you did in the systems within the red tape that existed. Um, and for always being, you know, the person who stepped outside the box, who allowed their clients to teach them, who allowed that connection to occur. Um, because I know how important it is. I, there's also similarities in our stories around our children. Um, you know, my daughter has mental health needs and severe anxiety. And to be able to be in a position where I am now through my own healing and evolution to support her in a different way is, you know, it's just, I'm just so grateful for 
having walked my own evolution and learned about myself and healed, you know, my own issues. And you did that and provided that for your kids while also just persevering through your own difficult seasons. So I just want to take a moment to celebrate your growth and celebrate your journey and all of the incredible seasons of life that you've had. Now, I would love to hear more about the work that you do now. So um, I get just as exhilarated with the work that I do now. So I, um, I have a number of different programs that I offer, but like my baby, the one that I, I absolutely, um, that I nurture the most, the most is a program called Soulful Life Hacks. And so it's all about um, having women get together. So having us come together, obviously through um, virtually, so because it's anywhere around the world. And so through Zoom, we connect. And so we, uh, we meet weekly and, um, and they share whatever it is that needs to happen and what's going on. And we've had different themes. So like, I always go with a season. And so again, part of my own traditional um, teaching that I've had is that part there is really important to me is having those seasons of being able to kind of start, stop and kind of move through. And so with the um, Soulful Life Hacks is um, that it's, uh, we have an opening ceremony for every season where we get together, where we actually set our intentions. What is it that we want to be able to focus on in the next three months? And then we actually um, kind of dive in and carve out what is it that wants that we, what's the, what's the underlying theme? So based on, so everybody shares what it is that they, um, that they're hoping to be able to get out of it and, um, and they share what's their, their intention and their goal for that, um, those three months. And, um, and then we always have, and it's always amazing how when we pull a group of people together, how there's always this underlying theme of whatever it is that's going on. And so like currently in the theme that we have right now is um, with all the goals that the, the ladies wanted to be able to put forward was um, stronger me. And so um everybody was like, okay, well, I want to be stronger at this. I want to be stronger at that. I want to be able to get better at this, or I want to be able to set these boundaries or that kind of thing. And so the theme that we've been working on um, in this particular session has been about being, becoming a stronger me. And so then from there, with all the years experience that I have is that I then uh, am able to pull in different tools. Um, but the biggest component is that community where they get together. And um, so outside of that, um, that weekly session that we have, because we do hot seat coaching um, during that time frame, And, uh, and then, then there's other bonus st- uh, stuff to be able to help support them, like being able to do like um, how to be able to do uh, daily meditations. And we actually have a life hack based again, based on whatever it is that they're wanting to learn. So being able to kind of dive in a little bit deeper on who they are and things like that. And um, some of them take advantage of that and others just come for the the group session and Mm -hmm. being able to have that connection. And that is the biggest part of it. And so I have a lot of people often that will say to me like, well, do you do one-to-ones? And yeah, I do do one-to-ones, but the group stuff, the group dynamics is where we get that um, that biggest meat and we get that juiciest connection because then we are not alone and we're not isolated. Yeah. And so, um, so when I share my story, I know that there's other people out there, um, like you said, with, that are similar. And so it's great to be able to have that connection. So when we're coming together as a group, and so because I deal with a lot of anxiety with my clients, a lot of them are like, ah, oh, 
doing group like that's just <laughs> I don't want to be able to do the group like can I really just do it can I do something different and um can we just do one-to-one and I do have one-to-one services but it's not what it is that I promote and um at least at this point and so um because at some point my my intention and my goal is that my one-to-one services will be for my group um my group clients who want to be able to dive in a little deeper mm-hmm. and but right now it's I've, I do have um, some one-to-one sessions that are open for um, for people who want to sign up for a package, but it's really about being able to have that connection and growing and um, and and being able to support each other. And one of the things that I love is that I have um, so in the month of August, um, early part of August, my dad passed away, and so mm. um, in the month like the end of July, early August, like there was lots of things that were going on. And then August, I obviously wasn't super present um, for people. And so I did do some and but like, for the most part, I was, um, I was not 100% present. And, and understandably so. But one of the things is that particular group continued to Mm -hmm. move forward um, with each other and supported each other. So we had um, one client who um, was there was a, a crisis that was going on in her life. And we don't we don't focus on crisis like that's not um, the goal of the program, but life happens and we do end up yep. in crisis. And so and we're there to support each other. And so um, but she had gone into crisis and um, I uh, and we have a, um, a private group where they can actually communicate with each other and but they also have each other's phone numbers and and they text each other and they and they connect with each other outside of that. But she had shared inside the group and by the time that I had actually come to um, to support her when I was able to is that she had already had all the support mm. that she needed. She had everything that she needed to be able to um, to move forward because she had the group that was actually able to, uh, to be there. So we had somebody who had um, one person had said, okay, well, I'm going to be available to you. Um, I can come with you because um, the two of them are, are, um, are local to each other. So I'm going to come with you to your appointment. And, um, and then the other ones were like, okay, how did the appointment go? Have you heard back from the doctor and like all these different things that had happened. And it was just incredible to be able to see how she put it out there. And this is a, a client who, when she first started, I'm not really doing the groups. I don't really like doing the groups, but you're, you're telling me that this is the best place for me. So I, I'm jumped in and I'm, I'm joining. And so, and when she first came in, she didn't share anything. She just stayed silent. And other than her introduction as to who she was and, and what her goal was, yeah, she didn't share. And so, um, so now as six months has progress has progressed and she has, she now is putting out there like, Hey, I'm in crisis and I'm not okay. And um, we're not going to have our weekly session this week, but I really need some support. And so it's really incredible to be able to see how we can lift each other up and support each other and be there and, um, and just have that connection and allow us to not feel isolated. And although we have different scenarios, different backgrounds, we have different um, things that are going on currently in our lives. We still have, that ability of being able to support each other. And that's yeah. one of the things that I just absolutely love with this program. So that's incredible. And, you know, it just warms my heart in this season of my life and, and in the future seasons to come, a lot of my work is shifting into the collective rise, how healing the sister wound and really leaning on each other in community um, is the next best step. for the evolution of women, of women everywhere, you know, is, is how can we rise together? 
how can, when one of us stumbles, can we all be there to lift up? And that's exactly what you're talking about. So I would love to hear in your own words, what community means to you. So for me, community is everything. And so um, community is being able to have those people who've got your back and um, they come from all walks of life and you have no idea um, what's going to, um, to be able to have help with that, right? So obviously you need to make sure that your community is a safe place to be so yes. that you don't have anybody that is um, going to tear things down and, and that kind of thing. But when you have that perfect community is being able to have that opportunity for everybody to come together, support each other and do exactly what it is that, um, that my group did for, um, Mm -hmm. for their peer. Right. So, and, um, being able to just be there and supporting and knowing that somebody has got your back and they may not know exactly what it is that you're going through, but they have that empathy that allows you to be able to say, Okay, I get it. And like, even when we do the hot seat coaching, right? So it's just really incredible to be able to say, um, where it's like, okay, well, yeah, that, that whatever it is that we were doing on that particular and that particular tool that's in our toolbox can actually help me with this, even though yeah. the scenario is not the exact same the feelings and the emotions are still the same. And so when you've got that strong community, that's, um, and I've always been a strong um, advocate for groups. And so as much as it's intimidating initially as a facilitator to be able to, it's now something that I'm hundred percent comfortable with. Right. But when I first started and they threw me into groups and they're like, okay, well, we need you to like offer this anger management course, or we need you to do this or that inside one of the agencies. But then it became that connection. Right. So um, like we had a, um, we had one particular program that I was in when I worked in mental health and um, it was an anger management program. And the um, this one particular client was, and, and this was specifically geared to um, people who were in the legal system. So they yeah. have been charged with something. And so like, they are your hardcore, they have to be there. <laughs> yeah, they have to be there. And, but like, even within those, um, those settings is it was like, they were able to start supporting each other and being able to connect. And so there was one particular man, he was older and he came over to me and he said, um, because it was like, let's talk about like your automatic thoughts around the anger, um, the anger. And, and he's like, I don't have any automatic thoughts. And so it's like, okay, I want you, I'm going to challenge you on that. And so we challenged during the, the session. And so then he came back um, the following week. Cause I thought for sure this guy's not coming back. And so he came back the following week. And so when he had come back, he didn't share within the group because it wasn't something that he was comfortable with at that time. And, but he had said to me, like, you challenged me inside the group. And when you challenged me, one of the things that happened is that somebody else came, somebody else in the group had said something and there was no crosstalk allowed, but somebody else had said something to him afterwards and, um, and had said like, I feel exactly what it is that you're feeling. But like, now that I've actually been practicing it a little bit more, when I do this, this, or this, this is one of the things that actually, that I can actually um, then pay attention to what that automatic thought is. And so then he had come back and he had said to me, because of that and you challenging me, and then this person approaching me, one of the things that happened was that when I was, and he was there specifically because of explosive anger behavior. And so he had um, some assault charges. And so one of the things that he said is that when um, somebody at the grocery store um, pissed me off the other day, then I was able to like stop and say, 
this person is just doing their job and it has nothing to do with me. And mm. I'm just going to say, thank you very much. And I'm going to get on my way. And it was like, and it was like this huge breaking point. Right. Yeah. So didn't mean that he didn't stay out of jail and it didn't mean that he didn't have right. any more assault charges. It was just that breakthrough. And it was because of one of his peers were able to say, yeah, when she challenged you, like, Oh God, that like hit me really deep down. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it's that community, right? So being able to, so like, these are the strangers that come together, but when we start um, communicating and connecting with each other, then we actually get to build this little family that is not blood, right? So it's, yeah, it's that, that community in our little family and, um, and we have that strong support. So, and, you know, it's interesting because group dynamics are incredibly intimidating and a lot of, you know, in the coaching world in particular, a lot of the groups are healing groups. And so we have specific wounds that we're coming together to say, sure, let's just sit in ceremony together and talk about their (laughs) deepest, darkest wounds. So it's intimidating, but there's magic in somebody looking at you and saying, me too. Me too. I've been there. Let's, let's together. We can do this together. I can hold space for you together. I can cry with you. I can understand your walk of life. And that's the true healing because we let's talk about that anger management. I don't have any automatic thoughts underneath every single explosive behavior of those people was fear, shame, sadness, feelings of unworthiness, feelings of rejection, feelings of uh, being unlovable that all stem from individual trauma. And here we are in community as grown women doing healing work and underneath it all fear of judgment, fear of rejection, fear of abandonment, lack of uh, a lack of worthiness, feeling unlovable. It's all the same. The wounding is the same. It's how we project to the world in protection of our trauma. And when we come together in community, like what a magical way to be held. And in my work, it's predominantly women as well. And I feel like a lot of the rejection wounds, judgment, fears, you know, lack of worthiness wounds are surrounding women. So when we come together to hold space like that, we're literally changing the trajectory of what it means to be women together. And there's just so much beauty and so much love and so much magic in that. So I'm, I'm so grateful for women like you who are holding space in such a way. I love the work you do. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so we talked about your favorite program and your other services, if you could leave the audience with one last piece of beautiful advice, what would you say? Um, the, I think the biggest one is um, that you are lovable, that you are enough and that um, you're definitely worthy. And so underneath all of those things is that you've got this sacred little child that's in there mm. that needs you um, to be held. And, um, and the only person who is capable of doing that is you. And mm. so you need to nurture and love that little child within you that is, um, has been so deeply wounded, no matter what scenario that we've had, right? So we've yeah. all had trauma, um, whether it is something that other people identify as trauma, we've all had some experience of tra- trauma in our lives and how have we coped with it has been, has looked differently for each and every one of us. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's the biggest thing is that I am enough. Yeah. 
Yeah. I love that so much. Okay. I ask everybody this question. And so you don't get away without answering it too. As we navigate our self-discovery and our self-evolution and our healing, a lot of the time we're faced with limiting beliefs, false beliefs, negative thought patterns that we are, that are subconscious. And so when we've done the work, they start to come out in the forefront of who we are and and we're able to really move through, but what's a limiting belief or a false belief that still sometimes surfaces for you. And what are some of the strategies you use to, to navigate outside of that? So it goes right back down to that I am enough, right? So there's um, certain times when that scared little girl comes back out and that I'm not worthy. And so, um, but, and for me, it's always about being able to go back to that. And um, so when I start going in through, oh my gosh, it's happening again, kind of thing. And then it's like, okay, refocus, recalibrate and start reminding myself why I am enough because Mm -hmm. I know that I am. And even though we know it in our head, those emotions just still kind of creep back out again um, at times that we kind of go like, yeah, where did that come from? (laughs) Right. (laughs) I thought I thought I healed that wound. Where did it go? Right. So um but yeah it always goes back to that worthiness. And so it's that um that recurring um I am enough exactly in the space and time that I am right now. So. I love that. I love that so much. It's one of our favorite affirmations here. I am enough just as I am in this very moment. And it doesn't matter if you're picking yourself off the floor that day or that you're about to step into the greatest season of your life. In this very moment, we are all enough. Thank you so much for your time today. What is your favorite social media outlet and where can my people hang out with you more? Cause they're going to want to. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so Facebook is di- typically where I am the most. Um, um, my team has been working on getting me more out there in Instagram world. And but it's just not a platform that I do well with because I don't do the phone thing. Right. I'm the computer person. So um, but yeah, so so uh, Facebook is probably the easiest um, place to find me. I have a, um, a Facebook group that a private Facebook group. So if you go and find my page, because the name's going to be changing, it hasn't been decided yet. My group's helping me decide on the name. So right currently, it's actually called um, the Holistic Wellness Lounge. But I believe that when uh, people are listening to this, it's it should have changed by then because we have a poll in the group to be able to change the name. But it's if you go to my um, to my business page, then Rolly Lair Holistic Life and Wellness Coach, then you will definitely be able to find my uh, my free group and come and join me. That'd be awesome. And we'll make sure that we link all of that in the show notes. So once that change has been decided and the link is available, I'll make sure it's available in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for sharing your truth and being so open with us. And thank you for the work that you do. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was wonderful. Thank you. And to our listeners, I hope you love yourself fiercely and fully today and every day. I can't wait to see you on the next episode.